This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 5.08 and you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sharad. First up today, the latest push in autonomy for Sarawak, an ongoing story, in the form of taking charge of their healthcare. Now, it has been reported that the federal government and the Sarawak state government will hold talks next week on finalising the details of the agreement on both sides. And essentially what this is going to mean is full autonomy and control over the health sector will be handed over to Sarawak. This is interesting on a number of levels, I think. Firstly, um, there is that larger question of state autonomy, particularly Sarawakian, um, and that's been making headlines. I think the other thing is also the the healthcare sector and system in Sarawak, and this is widely reported, has gaps, has significant gaps and, and um, multiple very state-specific reasons for that. Yeah, so this is meant to address it. And I think um, w- without seeing the details, it's really hard mm-hmm. to assess whether this is going to be a foolproof a plan. But clearly, I think the Sarawakians have uh, and their leadership have articulated this concern about uh, the failure of federal government to deal with their specific health care needs. They've, they've also articulated this, and you're absolutely right, this is an ongoing story and a broader story uh, with regard to education. And that's some, that's another sector in which we see uh, pushing very hard. So, you know, I'm excited to know what the details are going to be and how they've worked this out because the idea that one territory within the larger federation, right, uh, how does that achieve autonomy when you have a a kind of fairly universal provision of healthcare by the public sector that covers the whole country? Um, I think it's actually worth at this point also just describing a little bit what not having autonomy means because it's very easy when talking about policy and process to just kind of chalk it all up to it's a governmental thing. It passes through the steps and then things get done and and that's just what they do. But um, right now, what this means for Srawa is that decisions pertaining to Uh, well, health and education, the things that they'll be getting autonomy over. Right now, they need to be referred to the relevant ministries, health, education in Putrajaya. Uh, The submission of letters is required, documents, application forms. You imagine the ping pong and and the going back and forth. And because of that, the argument is that repairs and upgrading of hospitals and clinics, because those take funds, for example, um, take a significant amount of time to complete. And that's just one area, right? Where We're talking about so many other things. So when we talk about autonomy and what that means. I think it's just worth kind of painting a picture for what that looks like or what it would look like if the process were to change. Yeah, so, you know, the question I have in mind, like, you know, will they have control over talent? Meaning, will they be able to bring in doctors, nurses, whatever healthcare professionals they need from overseas that maybe would have had to go through Putrajaya? Uh, How do they deal with the deployment of... uh, Healthcare professionals within the public uh, healthcare system, you know, that was in fact controlled by the ministry at Putrajaya. So, you know, now that they have autonomy, what can they demand? And, you know, again, putting it in context, uh, so many interesting uh, stories have been in the news over the last couple of months, including, you know, a story about how teachers, there's a shortage of teachers in uh, Sarawak, and there was a call by a union, teacher union in Sarawak, mm-hmm. calling for Sarawakians who've been deployed to other states to be able to opt to work within the territory. So it's 
you know, the dynamics and the complications are multiple. And uh, again, I'm very excited to see what the details are, gonna, uh, are going to uh, be when they emerge. So we're going to be speaking uh, very shortly <coughs> with Chris Cheng, who's the president of SCAN, and that is the Society for Cancer and Awareness Kuching, as well as Dr. Melissa Lim, who is a founding member of SCAN, but also a lecturer at the Faculty of Medicine and Health Sciences at Unimas about this issue. We're asking you, though, what do you make of Sarawak's push for greater autonomy and um, if you're a Sarawakian specifically, how do you feel about particularly the healthcare system returning to the state or going to the state? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Bribe-free ministers? BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It's 5.13 and you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sherrod. We're talking today about Sarawakian autonomy um, and the latest step in that direction because the state is taking charge of their healthcare sector. The details will be finalised soon and then we'll know more, but we thought it would be good to get a sense of what this might mean for healthcare within the state itself. Let us know, what do you make of Sarawak's push for greater autonomy? If you're a Sarawakian, how do you feel about healthcare in particular now uh, belonging to the state government? to manage. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now, we have Chris Cheng, who is the president of SCAN, that is the Society for Cancer and Awareness Kuching, and Dr. Melissa Lim, a lecturer at the Faculty of Medicine and Health Sciences at Unimas, also a founding member of SCAN. Uh, Dr. Melissa, Chris, thank you both so much for speaking with us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So, um, like we said, the federal government and the Sarawak state government are holding talks next week to finalise an agreement to hand over full autonomy of the health sector to the territory. This has been a long time coming. Can you talk about the implications this would have on the healthcare system within the state? Um, Doctor, perhaps you can start us off. Well, uh, thank you very much for having us today. Um, First of all, I think with every change in policy, there are definitely pros and cons. So um, the pros being there'll be definitely more accessibility, especially to the rural folks of Sarawak. And then localized decision-making will also provide higher efficiency in healthcare delivery. And also um, the increasing human resources to reduce overcrowded facilities, especially in South General Hospital, as everyone can see. And we only have one tertiary hospital in the whole of Sarawak that is manned by our government. And also um, the cost efficiency by utilizing existing local resources. So this are whole. Um, this will in in terms make um, healthcare delivery more efficient in the state. However, there are definitely cons that we have to address, such as the inequality and disparities that may still persist. Uh, wealthier areas will definitely get better healthcare, as we all know, and then um, there might be might be some fragmentation in healthcare delivery. Especially, it can be challenging to coordinate and integrate services in a standardized and consistent way. And the last con will be um, the last challenge actually will be the administrative challenges, which could impact decision making. But overall, um, I think it will benefit Sarawak State in a whole. Chris, can I ask you for your kind of initial reactions to the news? Uh, did you already know that something was in the works, and and how have you and people in in kind of in your field how, how have they reacted to this news? I know that the Sarawak government has been pushing for autonomy in a lot of ways, uh, healthcare being one of them, education being the other. 
actually I'm quite happy for healthcare autonomy to be given because that means that the Sahel government will be able to use its own resources for the health of their own people. And because the current MOH, the Ministry of Health, is a behemoth, I think our previous uh, health minister, uh, KJ, did say that uh, it's one of the MOH is one of the biggest employers, if not the biggest employer in Malaysia. So decentralization, autonomy, you can look at it like it's form of decentralization. So like Dr. Melissa said, decentralization will make uh, the healthcare system a bit more flexible and, and a bit more agile. You know, you'll be able to put the right resources to the right area because you have local knowledge to make the right decisions. So, yeah, I, I do think that it is a good decision if both parties can come to an agreement. And how quickly are we going to see the effects of this, right? You know, is it going to rapidly change the healthcare landscape in Sarawak? I, I'm also curious in some ways about what might prove to be from an infrastructure and policy perspective, easy wins and what might have to just be long-term goals? Well, um, in short, I mean, the shortest term goal is definitely seeing the Sarawak Cancer Centre being realised. Um, Sarawak Cancer Centre has been in the in, in the clouds for some time. It has been, we have been talking about it for the past, I think, almost a decade, actually. And um, that is definitely, um, by giving autonomy to, to Sarawak, they will definitely um, expedite the realization of our own cancer center, which is very much in very much in need. And in terms of um longer term goals, um, I would think that we can probably provide more accessibility to those uh, in the marginalized populations, such as those in the rural areas. Um, we can have those. Um, actually, we have seen those in the marginalized population, like Bakalalan, which is about one thousand kilometers away from Kuching, from the South General Hospital. They sometimes they even have to travel to Sabah to get treatment over there. So um, if we do have our own cancer center, we do have our own autonomy, uh, like what Chris said, like we could use local knowledge. We know that um, there, there is disparities in our world state and um, we could, you know, make our own decisions and make this healthcare more efficient to reach and more accessibility to um, everyone in Sarawak. Dr. Melissa, if I can just follow up on that. One of the issues, of course, that's really important, really sticky, uh, tricky, uh, is talent, right? And training and, the, and professional staff. And so in terms of the, the personnel, right, uh, what kind of ex changes do you expect in terms of deployment of doctors, nurses and other healthcare professionals within the system? Uh, you know, and how complicated is it between what is being done now at the federal level and what the territory itself will have to do once it achieves autonomy? Thank you very much. Uh, we would definitely need more doctors and nurses if we are to expand. You are right about that. So um, even like by anticipating the Salt Cancer Center, I've heard friends, I won't say who, but I've, I've heard people that are from overseas, they're even willing to come back if this cancer center actually happens. So um, even without, um, even this is not just speaking about the federal territory giving us more manpower, but you can see that there's already an attraction in terms of like um, providing Sarawak with more healthcare facilities. So, um, Definitely, we would need um, 
of of course the longer plan we will have we will need more doctors we will need more oncologists if the cancer center does happen or if we have an infectious disease unit of course we will need more um infectious disease specialists as well and also um subsequently more nurses and more multidisciplinary um um what do you call it um healthcare providers so yes we definitely need more manpower for this I'd like to return to that point about cancer care, um, perhaps a little bit later. But if we we were trying to talk earlier or explain um, in some ways to people listening who might not be fully aware about that question of autonomy, because right now all decisions pertaining to health and education in Sarawak need to be referred to to the relevant ministries in Putrajaya, and it's been reported that this has resulted in delays or poor delivery of services. Can you talk to us about how bad the situation was under federal leadership? I will give you one example. A few months ago, there was a directive from KKM to have uh, the medical officers from biggest uh, centers to move to rural areas or smaller uh, districts. The decision itself is is not a problem. There was a lack of manpower at the uh, rural areas. So sending MOs there was a a good decision. But the directive came directly from the federal side and the selections of the MOs were not in the hands of the heads in Sarawak. So what we got was a bunch of MOs that some were under training, some were trying to be specialists, some had experience doing things like oncology or surgical uh, attached to the surgical units or even the hematological units. And then they were whisked off to rural areas where they don't really see these type of cases. So how are they going to fully utilize their knowledge or even train further to become actual specialists? So while the decision, the overall decision was all right, but the implementation of it, because there was no lo- local knowledge, it became problematic. And if you see during COVID, when the Sarawak government had more autonomy, we reaped the we as the state of Sarawak reaped the benefits. So that's where you can see the difference. Yeah, okay. Well, let's look at, um, you know, the, so you, you've explained the kind of benefits of autonomy uh, very clearly. I wonder, though, you, uh, when it comes to the relationship going forward, uh, say that this uh, deal is done and dusted in, in, in the shortest amount of time, what will the relationship be between the territory of Sarawak and the federal government in matters of healthcare, And in which areas will it be optimal for governments, uh, both of the territory and the federation, to cooperate? Oh, the, don't get me wrong. Cooperation is still definitely needed. The number one thing will be on purchasing. Right now, when you buy drugs, uh, KKM is the one that is purchasing. Um, KKM is actually not the only uh, healthcare provider in the government in Malaysia. The Ministry of Education has its own hospitals and even the uh, Ministry of Defense has their own hospitals. But because KKM is far larger, buying more 
medical equipment, medical um, drugs. They have uh, economies of scale. So if you're saying giving autonomy means we have to do everything on our own, I think that is foolish. So you definitely need, some things are better centralized. Purchasing is one of them. So that is definitely there. And we have other agencies under the Ministry of Health, things like the uh, National Pharmaceutical Regulatory Agency, which is already there established. And I don't see why Sarawak, especially so early on, we want to establish those things uh, in the state. So my point is, there are certain things that definitely needs to be a whole country, a national strategy, rather than just in Sarawak alone. We have a question from a listener. Um, I, I'm acknowledging that this is early days yet, so I'm not sure how many details are officially out, but Legion wants to know three things. Firstly, is there going to be a Sarawak State Health Ministry? Secondly, where is the source of funding? And lastly, how are doctors and healthcare staff going to be paid? I don't think my pay grade is uh, <laughs> it's up to the task of answering your okay, listener. Okay, Those okay. are details that I would like to know as well because these are probably the stumbling blocks as well. Mm. Who, who's actually paying? Is you know, start paying for everything? I don't think so. We still pay taxes to the federal government. I would like to see that benefit return to us somehow. But we, the whole idea of autonomy is that we should have more say in how the money that has been allocated is used in Sarawak. Dr. Melissa, if I can ask, draw you into this conversation because globally healthcare is a major issue and healthcare funding is a major and financing is a major issue, right? So uh, from your perspective as a, as a doctor, as a healthcare professional, are you concerned about the financing issue? Do you hear of, you know, special uh, uh, territory level policies in terms of financing that might have implications for the autonomy issue? Um, definitely. Healthcare financing is a worry for not only Malaysia, but for every country worldwide. Um, there, there have been like a few strategies that have been implemented by other countries, such as a private public um, kind of strategy, which could actually lead to long-term sustainability for healthcare. So um, to, uh, to answer your question, definitely. But um, for now... Um, I guess that if if we if we when we talk about decentralization at this moment, um, because there have been talk about um, like, let's say for example, I I have to come back to the cancer center again. Um, what has been delaying this cancer center is because of all the paperwork that has been going up and um, forth and back and back and forth to through the federal government. There's been there's been a lot of talking. There's been a lot of um, re resubmissions and all that. That is why the delay is taking so long. So, um, in terms of that, this is not about financing that we are worrying about. the The financing is probably already there. Already there. The budget has been set up, but it's more about implementing. So, in our case, is uh, probably the implementation part that we that that will cause more um, people 
you know, more more people to suffer at the lower level. Um, in terms of like in terms of globalization, yes, we have to find eventually in future, or probably now maybe we have to find a a a model, a finance model, to sustain healthcare for the long term. Um, this is just my two cents. We'll be continuing our conversation with Chris Cheng and Dr. Melissa Lim about healthcare autonomy in Sarawak very shortly. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. Build Fairer Malaysia, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It's 5.38 and you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sherrod and today we are talking about it's it's two things that have blended together. We're talking about healthcare, but we're also talking about Sarawakian autonomy. And the reason where those two things meet on the Venn diagram is that Sarawak will be taking charge of their healthcare sector. Uh, the details of the agreement are still being finalised, but it is official. It's moving forward. So we are asking you for your thoughts. What do you make of Sarawak's push for greater autonomy, starting with education and health, eventually, who knows? Um, and if you are a Sarawakian in particular, how do you feel about this affecting the healthcare sector? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, and tweet us at BFM Radio. We're continuing our conversation now with uh, Dr. Melissa Lim, who's a lecturer at the Faculty of Medicine and Health Sciences at Unimas and a founding member of the Society for Cancer and Awareness Kuching, as well as Chris Cheng, who is the president of that society. So, um, thank you both for staying on the line. We, we've talked quite a lot, or rather you have both spoken uh, quite a lot and eloquently about cancer care um, and how that's a big part of this. And you've both worked on closing the gap for cancer care among marginalised communities in Sarawak. Can you help us understand the challenges for these communities um, and what they face right now in accessing cancer care in the region? I guess I'll... Sorry, yeah, Chris, you would like to go? Uh, the number one challenge has always been ge geography. We have a population distribution that is uh, 50% in urban areas, but another 50% in rural areas. And you have to remember the size of Sarawak is the size of Peninsula Malaysia minus Negeri Sembilan. So let, let that sink in. So the distances are huge. Right. So for a patient in the north of the state to get to uh, the, uh, the tertiary hospital, which is the South General Hospital, it's like you're having, uh, and that's the only place where you can get cancer treatment. It's like you're staying in uh, Alostar and being told to go for cancer treatment in Johor Bahru. That's one. Second, I think we've already touched on and already I think you guys already know is the shortage of uh, healthcare professionals and also inadequate facilities. I think uh, Dr. Melissa has a few more to add. Yes, thank you, Chris. Um, you have actually addressed the biggest challenges, which is logistic. Um, all of our interviewees actually addressed that as well. And on top of that, for logistic issues, they also have financial constraint or what we call as out-of-pocket expenditures. So out-of-pocket expenditures is not just about medicines or um, or uh, getting diagnosis, you know, paying for their surgery and all that. But in Sarawak, it is focused around them trying to get 
to the area um, for treatment access, like Kuching. Like, for example, um, a place as far as Barrio, about 700 kilometers away, they have to take a four by four, about seven hours out to Lawas. And then from Lawas, they have to use a twin otter plane to fly to Miri and then Miri to Kuching. So you can see how long it takes for them just to get out of their village to get treatment. And this costs money. And when they actually reach Kuching, they have to pay for um, they have to pay for the accommodation and they have to probably pay for someone to accompany them. Okay, so these are what we call out-of-pocket expenditures, and it is costing a lot for for this rural population. And on top of that, um, so most of them would just, you know, they would just stay back in the village and rather get traditional medicine instead. So this is another cultural belief, another cultural barrier for the marginalized population of Sarawak. And um, besides that, um, while um, lack of awareness is another thing, like um, like Chris has mentioned just now, um, most of them, we have um, lack of um, oncologists, number one, we have lack of specialized doctors and all that. Some of them only have uh, a small clinic with um, one nurse and one medical assistant. Um, there's lack of awareness, especially for cancer care. So in having lack of awareness, it will also um, prevent them from getting treatment at an early stage. So this also prevents um, um, early diagnosis and screening. That's why you can see about 50% of the cases seen in Sarawak are at stage 3 and 4. Yeah, so speaking about that, uh, Dr. Melissa, what have been the outcomes in terms of cancer, in terms of mortality, morbidity? Uh, what are the cancers, maybe to give us a deeper picture of the kinds of cancers that are there and, uh, and w what's happened as a consequence of the current setup? Yeah, thank you very much. Um, the first one, um, the highest rate of cancer is actually breast cancer. Um, it's the highest in the whole Malaysia anyway, and but it's definitely the highest in Sarawak, even, even if we combine both men, uh, male and female together. Uh, breast cancer is still the highest. We get about 300 to 400 cases per year. And then the second one, um, I think we also have the highest rate of cervical cancer in the whole of Malaysia as well. Um, and then uh, recently, um, the second the second highest cancer for now, I think is colorectal cancer. And the third one is lung cancer. And we also have nasopharyngeal cancer being very common, um, especially among the, um, uh, the the rural population, the indigenous population of Sarawak as well. Um, and um, most of these cancers are actually, um, when they actually present themselves at a tertiary hospital, it's, all, it's always at late stage three and four. And we all know that um, the latest stage you get, um, you, you diagnose um, a cancer, the lesser your survival rate will be. Like, for example, if you if you are um, diagnosed as stage one, let's say for breast cancer, you diagnose as stage one, your survival rate can be as high as 95% to 99%, almost 100% survival rate. But if you actually um, get diagnosed at um, let's stage three, for example, or stage four, it gets exponentially lower to um, less than 50%. And at stage four, it can be just 20% survival rate. In closing, um, are there any final thoughts or messages that you'd like to leave us with on this move? Dr. Melissa? Um, I guess um, in order for a decentralization uh, model to succeed, 
of course, it um, it needs careful planning, effective governance, and also good leadership, on, on and also ongoing evaluation to address potential challenges and setbacks. So these um, these moves are vital. We have to keep investigating into um, what we are like on the gaps as we move along decentralization. And Chris, well, I do believe that. Autonomy and the decentralization that comes with it is the way to go. And I do hope that you improve the agility of our healthcare system. But as a Malaysian, I also hope that because Sarawak gets this autonomy, that you be proven to be beneficial and other states will also get to enjoy some form of autonomy as well. Because at the end of the day, Sarawak is still part of Malaysia. Chris, Dr. Melissa, thank you both so much for speaking with us today. That was Chris Ching, President of SCAN, the Society for Cancer and Awareness Kuching, and Dr. Melissa Lim, lecturer at the Faculty of Medicine and Health Sciences at Unimas, also a founding member of SCAN, talking about health autonomy um, for Srawak. Let us know what you think. You can call 7733-2900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Bring forth Malaysia. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, it is 5.50 and you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sherrod and we've been spending this hour talking about Sarawakian autonomy, particularly in healthcare because the uh, details of basically the agreement between, the, between Sarawak and the federal government to hand over full autonomy and control over the health sector will be finalised soon. And with that in mind, it's interesting. I mean, it's really the latest push for Sarawak in that direction. It also means really significant things for their healthcare system, potentially. We wait to see what that means. But um, we've been asking you what you think and the messages have been coming in. So let's start with uh, SC who says, one of the key areas about Sarawak's autonomy when it comes to healthcare is the possibility of using Chinese medicine practitioners in the healthcare service. Sarawak has been talking about this for some time now. Yeah, I think this is one of those conversations that's also quite divisive. There are a lot of people who don't believe in traditional Chinese medicine uh, or any of the alternatives to uh, sort of so-called sort conventional, of West, conventional yeah. Western medicine. And so there's that, I think, question. The openness, I guess, uh, and maybe even the question of blending uh and dealing with it. one of the things we talked about earlier with our guests is the psychological or cultural barriers that people in rural Sarawak might have with regard to availing themselves of modern medicine, right? One is the logistics. We also know about the price, but there might be also other issues. And how do you bring people or find um, a midpoint, right? So people feel comfortable both with their traditional beliefs, but also avail themselves of the best and most efficient medical uh, services available. Yeah. So some of this is cultural comfort, right? What we're talking about, this feeling of meeting people where they are, but also meeting people with the spirit of... of because what they're... I was looking at the statement um, because SC sent a link and what they're actually calling for, the Deputy Premier was calling for um, a greater spirit of collaboration between traditional Chinese practitioners and um, practitioners of conventional medicine. And so I think that kind of openness is one thing. The other thing, of course, like you're alluding to, is... Um, acknowledging that right now, for many patients in that area, 
traditional medicine might be what they're used to, what they're comfortable with, and acknowledging that might be a way to bring people further into the fold of the healthcare system. I was also thinking about Singapore. And how in Singapore, traditional Chinese medicine is available in any number of hospitals, in any number of large hospitals. And, and I think that that also is a cultural thing. Yeah, in part, in part. yeah I mean, there is a, a complex history to, to this, how we, we've had traditional ways of dealing with health uh, and well-being and how that was lost during the colonial period and how some of, at least in some cultural contexts, they're trying to regain that. But without, um, you know, going whole hog nativist and, and rejecting, um, so as it were, modern Western medicine, how do we find an intelligent median point where we can all talk like adults about what is good. I mean, I myself personally avail myself of acupuncture. I really believe in it. Uh, should I? I mean, what's the scientific evidence for, what, you know, the th services I've availed myself of, um, apart from the anecdotal that I have? And so, you know, I, I think these are very interesting conversations. And I wonder if uh, the autonomy deal that's going to be signed will allow for those kinds of conversations in Sarawak, at least. So we have a message from Madiha, who I believe um, is a doctor working in the healthcare system, who says, we should definitely decentralise decision-making to the people who are closest to the patients, who have access to on-the-ground data, and who understand the nuances of a particular geography or locale. There are too many layers of bureaucracy in the current state. Yeah, Madiha, you know, we heard the interview just now. It's very interesting because we were given a, a concrete example of uh, some manpower decisions that were made at the federal level that uh, were for Sarawak in, in, a, in the objectives were good, but because of the choices that were made at the federal level, the wrong people were sent uh, to achieve those objectives. And then, and therefore, you know, uh, you know, their mid, their career plans in terms of specialization or whatever it is, were all thwarted by this. So it's like, um, it may be decision making at too remote and without enough sufficient detail became the, the Achilles heel of that particular move. I, I'm also, I also think that um, what your message reflects, Madiha, is just some good old-fashioned logic uh, or good old-fashioned common sense, right? Because if you're talking about wanting people to be empowered, sufficiently empowered to make the right decision for their patients. Um, the whole purpose in some ways, or, or rather, um, if you think about the way our healthcare system works and when we meet doctors, right, and how embedded doctors are in communities and societies, and there's a reason that happens, then it makes sense that you should allow the people who know best the people that they serve to make certain decisions or at least to feedback in an efficient way about what should happen next. And um, the fact that that doesn't happen now is, is a problem. We've also got this from Robert who says... Why limit it to Shrawa? Why limit it to health? It's time to realise that we are a very diverse nation, culturally, socially, economically, geographically. One size does not fit all. For example, education needs are different. Why deter some states? Yeah, Robert, you know, in fact, this echoes, uh, but in a kind of reverse fashion, uh, what, um, you know, what was said by one of our guests, right? I mean, he talked about whether this could be, in fact, replicated mm. in other states and other territories, uh, the other territory being Kosaba. But um, I, I do want to ask the question in reverse, like, you know, and this maybe is not just to you, but it's also to the larger politics of the time, is that why is it possible for uh, the territory of Sarawak to actually make these demands for autonomy? How much is it to do with the politics of the day? How much is it to do with the financial heft that Sarawak has today that allows it to uh, meet the federal government? So 
in exchange for you know the the reduction of bureaucratic uh, red tape, they are saying, well, we can also fund part of it, right? And if that's the, going to be the case, it'd be very interesting to see how this deal pans out. Can it be replicated? What states would be able to afford it? Do they have the the uh, economies of scale that will allow it to actually operate? Yes, uh, and, and we don't again as yet have question have answers to that. I think um, this is exciting, but. Until the details of the agreement emerge, it's difficult to say in any concrete sense what's going to happen next. Um, but again, if you would like to share your thoughts, that number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. You can also send a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Um, I, I believe we have a message that's come in saying uh, from Itam saying it's interesting that Sarawak has gained more power, skirting the constraints of the ninth schedule of the federal constitution, which places healthcare as a federal matter. Decentralization is welcome, but it should eventually lead to amendment of the ninth schedule, and it should be extended to other states, as uh, Chris, as well as your listener Robert said. It's time for us to prepare and de- demand a renegotiation of our federal state arrangement. It is long overdue. Yeah, very interesting here because the schedule has to do with the the list, right? The concur- So we have a federal list, we have a state list, we have a concurrent list where there's overlap in terms of federal and state uh, responsibilities. So yeah, interesting that uh, that itself could be up for renegotiation. So... Uh- that's it for our conversation today on that. You can call us, you can send us a voice note or WhatsApp, you can tweet us. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.